Dr. Posey's Educational Revolution, Crime-Based Curriculum for Urban Youth. Dive into this enlightening conversation with Douglas, Dr. Douglas H. Posey as we explore his groundbreaking crime-based curriculum. This innovative approach is designed to transform the traditional education system in urban America. Learn how it aims to empower boys of color by fostering engagement, critical thinking, and life skills. Instead of criminal records, this approach offers diplomas, paving the way for a brighter future. Join us as this educational revolution arises. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, where you're about to go on a wellness-driven ride. Welcome, and let me share a little bit about the guests that we have here today. Dr. Douglas H. Posey, based in Houston, is a well-versed medical professional specializing in several fields, including, including forensic and clinical pathology. He's an Alcorn State University and Wayne State University alumnus and has served in various roles, from assistant medical examiner to clinical assistant professor. Post-retirement, his work as a laboratory director in Memphis, Tennessee. His extensive contributions to the medical field include numerous published articles in forensic and general pathology. I am so excited for this conversation. Please welcome to the stage, Dr. Douglas Posey. Hi, Douglas. How are you? I'm wonderfully well, April. Thank you. It's so good to be with you. My absolute pleasure. This is going to be an exciting conversation, especially for me, because growing up, all I wanted to be was a forensic entomologist. And so this is a really fun topic for me, a great discussion. But not only that, about doing really incredible things, not just in those sciences, but going into you know, how we show up as society and how we better society for uh, the, the youth. April, I am driven by people sometimes ask me, why do I do the things I do? I'm 82, no brag, just facts. I'm 82 years young. And <laughs> I, I'm asked sometimes, why don't you just chill? Why do you do the things you do? I'm driven by two men who changed the direction of my life and shifted the paradigm of my family. My high school coach, Wordy Hicks, deceased now, a graduate of Gramlin State University, literally carried me to Utica Junior College from Centerville, Mississippi. That's after I had gone to New Orleans, following the allure of little jazz and fast girls, I was unloading bananas for international longshoremen, a position in which I lasted 13 days before returning home to Centerville, Mississippi. My high school coach showed up the next day and, and said to my mother, Miss Reba, he can't stay here. And he whispered something to her that I didn't hear. 
But as he walked out of the door, he said, pack his clothes, I'll be back tomorrow. And to make a long story short, he put me in his car the following day and literally drove me to Utica Junior College with three athletes. I learned later on that he had told my mother that I wasn't an athlete and I wouldn't make the football team or the basketball team. And I proceeded to make him look like a prophet. I got cut from the football team before school started. I was put on a work study job and told to come out for basketball. And I lasted fewer reps in basketball than I did in football. But Coach Page, Roderick Page, who would go on to become the first African-American uh, Secretary of Education, took a, a liking to me for reasons I can't explain this day. And each time he came up to cut me, he said, but son, you don't have to go home. So I was able to make it through Utica Junior College. But here's the interesting thing. My mom and dad weren't, weren't dropouts. They were forced out. There was no school that would accept them beyond the eighth grade. But my mother, anything short of loss of life or limb, you had to go to school. So when Mr. Hicks, Coach Hicks, carried me to Utica Junior College, and I struggled, I struggled big time. But I made it through, went to Alcorn, and in my fourth year, I called my sister next to me, Joanne, and I said, I think I can show you the way. She called Anna Ruth and said, I know the way. Anna Ruth called Joyce and said, all you have to do is follow the trail. They called Randy and said, all you have to do is show up. So my mom and dad, who were forced out, their parents were uneducated. We went from Coach Hicks driving me to Utica Junior College to now I have children who have children that's graduated from college. We literally shifted the, the focus of the entire family. No one, no one says now, no one mentions, you know, am I going to college? The discussion at home in all of my siblings, their siblings, is do I have to go to the local school or can I go away to college? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and I love that. The paradigm was shifted, and that's such a, a beautiful way to say it. And, and something that I caught out of this, Douglas, was that uh, you just have to show up and, and you know, continue doing it. but. But there's so much power in that to just show up, right? Yes, yes. The, the motivation is I didn't realize how poorly educated I was until I went to Utica Junior College. And I didn't realize I was poor until I left home. But we merged all of the schools in Wilkinson County in 1960 during my senior year. So with some of the other kids I merged with whom I didn't know, I began to see a few chinks in my armor. But when I got to Utica Junior College, they undressed me. I was not ready. April, here's one I used to, I used to carry the transcript in my pocket because no one believed it. You're not supposed to be able to do this. Counselors should stop you. I failed algebra, advanced algebra, trigonometry, and analytic geometry in four successive semesters. Wow. And yet, you are where you are today. April in 19, I, I became a board certified 
pathologist in 1981, having been the first black resident to study pathology at the United States Naval Hospital in San Diego. Mm. But in the year 2000, I left the hospital after 20 years and entered a, a fellowship training in forensic pathology and went on to become one of less than 1,000 board certified forensic pathologists in the entire nation. Wow. Wow. That's absolutely an incredible story. And so, Douglas, I'm, I'm curious, what drew you into the forensics arena? I mean, you had already had so many years under your belt in pathology. And so what geared you into the specific direction of forensic pathology? I had kept in contact with Dr. Kevin Sampson, who was editor of the Journal of the National Medical Association and a colleague when I was an assistant professor at Howard University. So I was talking to Dr. Sampson and he raised the question, did you know that Dr. Joy Carter has become the first African-American lady to become chief medical examiner of a major office in the United States? And I assured him that I did not, but Dr. Joy Carter and I had been at Howard University at different times. I literally left the practice of anatomic and clinical pathology, moved to Houston to study forensic pathology under Dr. Joy Carter. I had never been in a medical examiner's office prior to that. Wow. And so what made you stay? What inspired you to, to continue going? Because even now today, you really hold the forensic piece and aspect to, to everything that you really do and offer. You, you offer the teachings of forensics to youth, et cetera. So what inspired you to keep going? What excited you the most about the field? It was, uh, April, it was it was it, it it was like a roller coaster ride, the intrigue of it, trying to find the quote who done it, mm. the investigative aspects of it, the sleuthing. But sometimes I used to get on my knees in the shower. You know, there'd be multiple people changing clothes around me. I would have on my uh, autopsy, my protective gear, getting ready to go into the autopsy suite. I used to get on my knees in the shower and said, Lord, Lord, I can't believe I volunteered to come here and do this. But give me the strength this day, you know, to do it one, you know, one more day. But the intrigue of it, it and I still find it exciting trying to find out who done it. That is one of the most exciting pieces. It's like a puzzle and and trying to put the puzzle together and uh but bigger than that too is is when you put that puzzle together what it does for the the human beings here on the planet right it it solves this problem this mystery that wasn't before and then it really helps shift the energy of the perspectives and the viewpoints of those who are involved. Yes, it does. And, you know, we have our, we have our shortcomings, but, uh, you know, the, the way the press 
you know, looked at us and probably look at you as well, <laughs> is that uh, a lot of time the good work that we do uh, it, it, it's not broadcast. Uh, if it's put in as in the back pages over near the obituary, but every time uh, a medical examiner or forensic pathologist does something wrong, it's highlighted. You know, uh, you know, ac across the nation. Uh, but we're no we're no different from any other uh, organization, be it lawyers, broadcasters, doctors, you know, whatever, clinical pathologists. We all have a shortcoming, but overall, this is, I told someone that forensic pathologist is the hottest thing since Miss O'Leary's cow allegedly started the great Chicago fire. <laughs> it was a young person that said, what does that mean? <laughs> but it is, we, we have, we go now today, we go from forensic accounting to question documents with everything in between that. Everybody wants to go forensics now. I had a lawyer friend of mine who told me that he look at cases today and he his first question is, where are the forensics? He says, these are cases that he would have taken in, into trial, you know, in, when he was uh, in his younger days. But now his first question is, what do we, what is the forensic evidence that we have in this case mm -hmm. before he accepted and presented at trial? Well, my goodness, there's so many different avenues and aspects of it, aren't there? You know, we have the the the, the analysis of, of bullets, of blood, of, uh, gosh, I mean, we could go on and on and on of, of voice recognition of, you know, so many different avenues and, and the mental and the psychological forensics and there's so many different ways to be able to bring this into the light, but really just what it is. And, and I would love to hear your explanation and definition of forensics, but it's just this deeper and deeper and deeper sense as far as we can go scientifically of, of, of evidence and why. But I think, you know, as, as technology uh, evolve, you know, robotics, you know, we're going to be able to, uh, walk go out to the scenes i think we, we might be already doing it on the small scale take our dna uh, analytic equipment uh, with us and the information that would usually take a couple of weeks to generate to make an identification we're going to do that at the scene and and that is exciting that's one of the reasons april why i want to i want to teach the crime scene. This it, is just so exciting. We, you know, my attention span is is probably less than forty five seconds. Okay, <laughs> if you're not coming with something really, really exciting, and I think that one of the challenges that we're having in the urban school environment, and I, I talk about the urban school environment because that's the one I'm familiar with. That's the one I was un miseducated under. Mm. And we are still doing the same thing today. There's a yeah. desk, there's a student, there's a textbook, there's a teacher, and there's standardized desk. I want to, it's kind of a quasi-Montessori, Virginia Montessori thing. I want to have, instead of a football field, I want that whole, that entire space to be one continuous crime scene. 
That's so fun. <laughs> and I can teach and I can teach geometry. I can teach blood spatter from geometry. Okay. I can teach algebra and parts of geometry that I don't understand. I'd have to get someone to do it. The way yeah. the bullet, the trajectory, has it moved through the air? Yeah. Okay. I well, can there's, teach, there's, the, teach yeah, the students you, how to gather evidence. It teaches that them how to get the bigger custody. picture. It is. And for yeah. their English, the, but this is, this is the part that, that really, I, I like all of it. But here's the part I really like. We're going to have a mock courtroom where the students would be allowed to participate as jurors, judge, prosecutors, and defense attorneys. Mm -hmm. And they're going to sharpen and hone their English and oratory skills in the makeshift uh, courtroom, <laughs> in the mock courtroom, if you will. Yeah. You <laughs> so know, I go. yeah, I, I love all this, of course. And I was so fortunate to be able to experience and explore all of these different scenes. Um, you know, the crime scenes and the, the mock interviews and all of the things where I was fortunate to have access to all of those things. But I agree with you. It excites me, too, because it, it gives it gives somebody learning on a totally different perspective. And, and like I mentioned, it gives you this big picture way of learning and being and seeing and seeing the the environment that is around you and starting to think in a different way and, and go into a different direction. Uh, and, and like you said, it's bringing in math and all of these things that people can really start to learn and grow from. I was definitely inspired myself when with forensics in high school. And that's what really uh, excited me about wanting to learn and grow. And it wasn't anything else, but that was definitely something that excited me the most. Yes. And, and I think that we can generate that kind of excitement and, and, and move. And I, I think, I think these, I think these kids want to learn, you know, I, I, but I think that showing them the real world applications, okay? And when I take them to the crime scene, I have teachers take them to the crime scene and do DNA collections. And uh, I want to follow that up by establishing a working relationship with the DPS uh, sheriff, the medical examiner's office, where the, the, the young person who develops an interest in, say, DNA, for example, can then go into quasi-internships and see and be a part of that in the in the uh, in the DNA laboratories. Does, does that make sense? They can see real-world applications. Yeah. Okay, they can apply for jobs as a DNA analyst uh, once they finish this. Yeah. Well, again, it it. There are so many different avenues and the world is going so fast paced that there's there's many, many different options and avenues that we can go with that. There's a lot of opportunity to be had. And, and I think, Douglas, maybe you agree, but it, 
the the more that we go into this and the more research and science that we have behind all this, it really helps dramatically with what our definition of justice truly is. Being able to go down to the the root cause, to the truth of the matter is is something that is getting better and better and better. And so when we have teams of people who really have this knowledge and this insight, it really helps better the world on so many levels. Yes, it does. And Ben, and you had mentioned it earlier, you know, in the uh, in the intro, I'm hoping that I can convince the powers that be to divert the first time nonviolent, non-sexual offenders be diverted into this program. And upon completion of the program, like you said earlier, they would receive a diploma, okay, rather than a criminal record. Uh, some of these kids, you know, today are getting caught up in, in this, in uh, juvenile, and uh, they are pleading guilty because only only three percent of these cases go to trial. Ninety-seven, ninety-eight percent of them are pleaded. But uh, I believe in my heart. I'm not a lawyer, but I'm, I think I'm going to try to find out. But I believe in my heart that these juveniles don't realize what they're pleading to. Mm, yeah. And that this yeah. could not only could will come back to haunt them later on in their adult lives. Well, yes, and. You and I being in this arena have certainly seen that time and time again. And so the the need for something to to give to teach um, our youth into, first of all, not getting into the position initially, right? But you know, you can't this this is a beautiful way to be able to bring in something where it is expanding them and opening their minds to different ways. And I think that when we move and inspire someone, it certainly has the power to change the trajectory of life. So I think that's a, an incredible thing that you're doing. We're going to move into our first commercial. And when we get back, let's talk further on this subject. Stay tuned. Okay. Are you ready to take control of your ride to wellness? Rev up with Driven Living. Visit www.drivenliving.com and buckle up for a journey. Get exclusive access to our Wellness Driven Life Show guest portal, where you can dive deep into the minds of our esteemed guests. Sign up for our newsletter and get insider scoops on these distinguished personalities. It's like having a backstage pass to their life-changing wisdom. But that's not all. You'll also receive a free hug. You heard me right, a free hug. An enlightening ebook from the Driven Living team. Discover the science-backed benefits of hugging yourself. It's a fill-up for your wellness tank. Because at Driven Living, we believe in fueling your journey to wellness, both physically and psychologically. So what are you waiting for? Visit www.drivenliving.com today.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So welcome back, Dr. Douglas. You certainly have a passion for the juvenile justice aspect. Now, where did that come from? When What started initially that this passion that you have for it? I realized, you know, sometimes things have to come home, you know, for you to, to really realize the importance uh, of it. But I started out with the realization that I had been miseducated and that a lot of the things that I was taught and the way that I was taught, particularly in the urban areas of public schools, poorly funded, overcrowded classrooms are leading to this, you know, to dire consequences. There are 20% of the kids in the juvenile incarceration system okay, have never had their day in court. They, they are in there. And here's this summary. There was a summary article on the juvenile incarceration system. Here's the five characteristics that they, they gave of it. It's dangerous, it's obsolete, inefficient, ineffective, and wasteful. Now, one good characteristic of it, the overwhelming majority of these kids are being held for nonviolent offenses. And 20% of them are, held, are being held just as they wait their day in court. But they're subjected to solitary confinement, which I, I think is enough to ruin a kid for the rest of his life. Isolation, deprivation, lack of education, sexual abuse, physical abuse. I'm, so there's a lot of trauma that is introduced. Trauma. Too yeah. much trauma. April, I wish I'd like to have, I'd like to see a boarding type school, you know, where I had these kids in the classroom. But I would do what I'm doing for one of them if I could, just one. I'm, but I'm hoping that I'll be able to reach uh, reach uh, uh, more than that. But I, I would do it for one of them. If I could get them involved in the curriculum, I, th I think they I think they I think they're smart. I think a lot of the kids who go to the uh, alternative schools and end up in a juvenile, I think those are the smartest kids in the classroom. They're um, bored. They're bored by what's going on, so they get in trouble. Yeah, that's true. Well, let's talk about a little bit about the funding. You know, you 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 see this need, this absolute need that's that's really dire to help shift uh, our society, the way that it's going with our youth. And so this is a great need. And you have this desire and this goal and this dream to be able to offer another opportunity uh, to shift that. And so 
what has it been like for you to be able to move into that? What is what is the process of it? What are you running into? Is it just me who believes that this is a good idea? I, I, I can't believe, I can't believe that society is ready to give up on these kids. And so I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to be asking uh, for those who believe that this is a worthy effort if they'll come and stand beside us and stand with us and support an educational system that can break the chains of incarceration and get these boys back into the classroom and make them solid citizens, make them assets to their communities rather than liabilities. Mm, well, that's a that's definitely it, right? Make them assets rather than liabilities. Let's talk a little bit about the funding that goes into incarceration versus the educational funding. My goodness, unbelievable. It costs on average $214,000 per juvenile per year. That is incredible. One juvenile, one year, $214,000. And here's what an article said just recently. That figure is approaching a million dollars in New York. Wow. We spend pennies on public education compared to those. We, we don't come anywhere close. We're not even in the area code. Why do you We're feel not that, in the that is? Of those numbers, huh? What, Dr. Posey, why do you feel that that is? That, that, why do you feel that the funding is so drastically different here? That, I, I'm still trying to, 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 to you know, to, to find out. Uh, you know, I summarized uh, my life story as best I could. In a, in, a, in, a, in a publication I call From Mississippi to the Morgue that was published on Amazon. But I'm starting uh, to write a book now uh, entitled The High Cost of Injustice. Now, I might change the title later on, but right now the working title is The High Cost of Injustice. And I want to investigate and be able to answer the questions that you are uh, closing right now that I actually don't have all of the answers to. I don't know why we are willing to spend a million dollars, nearly a million dollars per child in New York. And I've heard teachers say, now this is anecdotal, but I've heard teachers say they, they bought things like, I don't know, you know, basic school supplies for their classroom out of, out of their wallet. That, 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 there's something wrong with the picture. And uh, yeah. I, I said, well, you know, it couldn't just be me. And I don't think that we as a society is ready to give up, uh, you know, on these kids. But no. why we're spending that kind of money. And the other thing, one of the other things that bothers me immensely is that as we speak today, 67% of the, the juveniles incarcerated in the United States of, of persons of color. Two out of every three today. So, But I want to get them all out. <laughs> you know, I'm not, not interested in that, you know, the well, color, but, but the facts are the facts. 
The facts are the facts. I agree with you. And so there's wanting to hit the areas that have the most need first, right? And then it will tumble over into everything else. So let's start with uh, Dr. Douglas. What are some of the things that you have already put into place to to show that this program is beneficial? It may be a one-shot opportunity. I may not get a second chance. So I want to be able to present it to them. I want to be able to explain the curriculum to them. So I've got curriculum people working with me. And hopefully we're going to be able to begin, at least start to answer, you know, some of the financial questions, but I, I, I need help. Well, you certainly have already begun to develop the team. You have the organization. It is starting to go into place. Tell us again, Dr. Douglas, what are some of the ways that people can contribute? What are the ways to reach out? So we're going to display the website here again, www.futureforensicscientists.org. And so let's talk a little bit about what are some of the things that you need? And how can people be a part of this incredible idea that you have? Well, the uh, we need to uh, expand and develop the uh, the board of directors. I'd love to have a group of just advisors, people who uh, from from an economic point of view, curriculum. So you're based in Houston, Texas, and is this where you you want to start? Where is this where the beginning of this project is? Yeah, I'd love to do a pilot in Houston, Texas, and then have the rest of the world look and say, the United States look and say, say we can do this. Okay, you can duplicate this. Here's Here's the here's the here's the profile. Here's the the sample. You can take this into your community. We'd even be willing to come there and work with you to help it get started. But we'd like to do the initial pilot in the uh, in the Houston, Texas area. Yeah. Well, of course, I'm on board. Some of the funnest times in my life certainly were, you know, when we were learning so much about all these things. And for me, <laughs> a fun example was in high school, my forensic science teacher put a, a squirrel on top of the rooftop. And so we had to go up every single day and take note and do measurements and all of the things for how the squirrel was decomposing. And it was a whole lot of fun. Sounds gross to some people, some people it doesn't. But really it initiated that curiosity and the discovery, but not only that, learning how to view and a different perspective of what happens to us when we die, the the cycle of life and how everything else engages and the insects and how it not it, part of giving up life is also giving life too. And so it's all of those fun things in order to really engage a creative mind. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's really challenging. Uh, I was thinking, uh, this morning, uh, I was thinking about uh, Emmett Till's mother, maybe. And when I first heard the story, I was a kid in, in Mississippi, and I heard that, you know, that she had insisted on having an open casket funeral. And I was just, in my young mind, I thought she just wanted them to see Emmett, you know, to see what had done, done to him. 
But after I became a, a forensic pathologist, there is nothing in the world that's worse than the smell of decomposing human flesh. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you, 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 you wear it when you come out of the decomp room. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it also teaches you, like you were saying, the psych of a pipe. Yes. I would go from that. Don't they, the people looking at you in the casket and saying, doesn't he look natural to the cycle that leads all the way back to just a bony uh, uh, framework? You know, Dr. Douglas, there's a few things that in life that have taught me about uh, death and have, in essence, switched the fear base uh, initial. Uh, thought there where we were not exposed to death in general society. We, we shelter it back from ourselves. We do have the closed ca uh, caskets. We're not uh, taking care of elderly and having them die at home as much as we used to historically, right? And so the, the cycle of life isn't really well exposed to us. And you know, certain things throughout life have really brought me to that. And, and law enforcement being one of them where you were exposed to death and you did see it and you were around it and you, you either were, you know, much more rarely the cause of that, or you're, you're just around that in response to, to uh, the things that you had to be a part of and investigate. And then it was disease and my own health and well-being that really exposed me to uh, either the fear or lack of, of our life cycle and what that means. And so I think that it is very important for us to bring society back into that, to the knowing of, to uh, having a better understanding of, to really acknowledging what happens to us and, and why it happens in the cycle of things that's very natural. And it's, it's, it is a, it's, you know, there's a, uh, anthropologist up in, uh, Un University of Tennessee, I think it's up by Knoxville and it's affection is known as the body farm. That's the body farm. <laughs> and they have, <laughs> they have every conceivable scenario that you can think of, you know, with it, with it, uh, bodies in different, different stages of decomposition and mm -hmm. going through that stage of life, you know, back to the earth from whence it came uh, through that. Very interesting. I, I still want to get over there one day just to take a look at it. Well, yeah. I do too. I ever, yeah, ever since I learned about it a long, long time ago, really fun. Um, and, and not, but it is, it is for those of us who are interested in it. Right. But absolutely. Yeah. Again, coming back to www.futureforensicscientist.org and how awesome this program would be to our youth to really expose ourselves to something new, making us think bigger and and adapting to the environment that we have i think on so many aspects and levels both physically psychologically spiritually this program really can fully encompass many great opportunities for a human being 
I, I think it, it just seems to have everything, uh, April. And I, you know, I don't know if there'll be enough hours in the day to for me to teach them all the things that I want them to be taught. I want to teach them how to be young men, you know, uh, to dress, uh, to uh, respect for each other, respect for the ladies. Uh, I'd like to teach them. Uh, I, 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 back in the day, we used to call it home economics. I don't, I don't know what that might be dating myself, but uh, but teaching them how to dress, how to take care of themselves, uh, mm. how to present themselves, uh, how to dress for success, uh, how to meet the world. Uh, and then in addition to that, I want to go high tech uh, 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 Booker T. Washington from Tuskegee. I want them to be taught how to repair all of this highfalutin, as my grandmother would say, all this highfalutin equipment that we have, robotics and all of the rest of the equipment that we need to run the technology that we're developing. Someone has to fix that. I'd like for them to in there after. I'm going to keep them so busy they wouldn't have time to get in trouble. That's in right. The afternoon, <laughs> in the afternoon, I, I want them to be taught you know, how to, uh, you know, find, uh, how to repair robotic equipment, how to repair uh, the DNA equipment uh, that we, uh, you know, the equipment that we don't throw away, that we depend on someone to fix and to put back into the laboratory. Just something that would keep, make them uh, employable uh, so that they can earn a living for themselves. I want this whole the whole structure to be able to expose them to real world opportunities. And yeah. that was what that I think that's one of the elements that's missing in the urban uh area uh public schools today. Mm, I agree with you. And and I can certainly say that I am testimony to this this way of teaching and it being able to bring about all of those aspects, the professional pieces, the, the more knowing. So I'm certainly a proponent. Dr. Posey, this has been a really fun conversation for me. Thank you so much for bringing this to the Wellness Driven Life Show, bringing this idea to the forefront. I think it's an incredible idea. I love it. And so I want to, again, make sure everyone knows where to find you to learn more, to support this vision, because it's it's a really fun idea and goal. And I and I love the proposition of it. So www.futureforensicscientist.org. Also, for those of you listening in, for all our viewers, this is always in the description below. Our, all of our guests have their information there. Be sure to check it out. Thank you again, Dr. Posey, for sharing your stories, your wisdom, your knowledge, and your ideas and your passion for what you want to bring to our future. April, it has been absolutely my, my pleasure to be with you today. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And our audience, without you, the show wouldn't be possible. And goodbye for now. We will see you next time.